practical. This is Live La Bella Vita with your host, Don Catherine. If you're looking to know all the latest beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. Do you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense? This is your show. It's Live La Bella Vita on Toginet with Dawn Catherine. If you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes from the vine to the bottle, if you love Italian food and want to learn Nana's recipes, you enjoy travel and want to know the best luxury destinations and resorts, love spending time with La Familia, does your business or passion allow you to live La Bella Vita? Let's find out. All that and a little more with an Italian flair. This is Live La Bella Vita on Toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Don Catherine. Vita show. I'm Don Catherine, your hostess with the mostess, and I hope you have poured yourself a glass of wine, and I hope that you really do enjoy it, and you're going to find out during the show why I said that, um, but I hope that you're ready for another great show tonight, and if you want to know what the show is going to be about tonight, it's going to be a little bit of a mixture of some Italian culture and a little bit of mixture of Halloween thrown in. Uh, but if you're listening to me live, I have to say, why the heck are you listening to me right now? Because it's 8 o'clock, which means the first pitch of the Red Sox game is happening as we speak. I literally have my eyes on the TV, and I can see David Ortiz go out onto the field. It's killing me. But anyway, I have a show to do, so it's all about you right now. So if you are listening to me live, obviously you're not a Red Sox fan or a Cardinals fan for that matter, or you just don't like sports. Or you just love me, which in case, I think that's fantastic. (laughs) If you are listening to me on a podcast because you were listening and watching the Red Sox, well, God love you for it. But if you didn't know that you could download a podcast of mine, you absolutely can do that. You can go to my Toginet page, which is at doginet.com, and look up my page, La Bella Vita Show. And you can download any of my shows, or you can go onto iTunes and do a search and put in Don Catherine or La Bella Vida. It will pop up. Podcasts will come up. And you can subscribe for free. And you can listen to all of my shows. And I think you should do that if you have not done so prior to the telling you to do so. So there you go. Um, so what is going on in the world? Well, really, for me, honestly, it's, you know, I, I have not been able to sleep. Last night, I literally went to bed at 4 o'clock in the morning because I had so much anxiety over the Red Sox. Because they can win the World Series tonight in Boston for the first time since 1918, people. Now, you may not know this, but my stepfather is 85 years old, soon to be 86 in about three weeks. And he has not seen the Red Sox win at Boston since he's been alive. He is 85, almost 86 years old. It's crazy. So I'm so excited I can't even, I, I, I can't, I, I just can't even contain myself. Um, so I know that the world does not revolve around the Red Sox. I know this, but there are other things that are going on in the world. Uh, by the way, there was an eruption by Europe's most active volcano, uh, which sent towers of sparks and fires into the sky around it. Mount Etna in Sicily erupted, and it's the... Oh, Biggest eruption they've had since 1992. 
so that was kind of interesting. And if you go online, you can actually see some pictures of them with a volcano erupting. So it was kind of a little bit scary for a little bit for those people. Uh, and uh, this is like really world crisis, what I'm about to tell you, because for those of you who are xenophiles like me who love their wine and talk about it constantly, this is like very troubling, troubling news. Troubling times in the kingdom of winology. Uh, there is a wine shortage, people, uh, and uh, it's a matter that I'm very concerned about, and I'm going to share with you a little bit later in the show why there is a shortage of wine. So if you are drinking your glass of wine right now, as I tell you to do at the beginning of every show, I hope that you are savoring every last drop because a shortage is upon us, which means the price of wine is going to go up. So I'm going to be talking about that and then the first segment of the show get it out of the way so that you can get rid of that anxiety of knowing about that um did i mention that the red Sox are in the world series and are playing at this very second to a possible win over the cardinals not sure if i mentioned that but just wanted to let you know so if you're listening to me live uh you might just want to flip your switch to fox and uh take a look-see uh so there was this great um story that came out in the last couple of days which i love when people are brilliant and think like really smart so this guy martin anderson came up with this idea of installing mirrors on the mountains to shine into the main square in rukon norway now why did he do this it's because Rukon, Norway, is tucked in between steep mountains, and the town is normally shrouded in a shadow for almost six months out of the year, and residents uh, have to catch a cable car to the top of the nearby, nearby precipice to get a fix of midday vitamin D. But on this past Wednesday, faint rays from the winter sun for the first time reached to the town's market square thanks to three 183-square-foot mirrors placed on top of the mountain. Now there were cheering families, sun-on-sun loungers, drinking cocktails, and waving Norwegian flags. Who knew they were having so much fun in Norway? Sounds like my idea of a good time. But they downed shades as the sun crept from behind a cloud to hit the mirrors and reflected down on the faces of delighted people and children. Uh, they showed it all on the TV over there because it was huge news. Um, but I just think that's just like, I love when people can think outside of the box. Like, what a brilliant idea. I mean, I just can't imagine being in the dark for six months. That is just ridiculous. I do like the nighttime, and I am a night owl, but for six months, that's just craziness. So to you, Martin Anderson, I say thumbs up. Now, I wonder, since this is Norway, my producer's last name is Anderson. I know she's of Norwegian descent because of her last name. She has to be. So I just wonder if this is one of her brilliant relatives. It could be, totally. Um, so, and interesting enough, because, you know, I'm all about living La Bella Vita, living the Italian lifestyle, the Italian town of Viganella actually has a similar but smaller sun mirror for their area, which, so it's not like the first time this has ever happened, obviously, but I just think that it's like a really great thing. So, very cool. So, uh, what else is going on? Um, do you know who 94-year-old Lou Lucier is? Probably not. I didn't know who he was either. But believe it or not, he is the oldest living former Red Sox player, uh, having been called up from the minors to pitch during World War II. And guess who he wants to win the World Series? Uh, one guess is not the Cardinals. 
And if you are a Boston person, you know it's not the Yankees either, but that's, you know, they're not even a series. They're not even playing in the World Series this year, so, but we know. You know, that whole Yankees, Red Sox rivalry goes back for years, centuries even. Uh, Not centuries, really, but decades for sure. Uh, So this is what I have to say. Let's win it for Lou. I mean, he's 94 years old. When is he ever going to get another chance to see his beloved Red Sox win in Boston, people? I mean, come on. Let's win it for Lou. Uh, let's win it for all of those who were lost at the, Boston, at the Boston Marathon. Let's win it for the people of Boston who rallied after the bombing, neighbor helping neighbor. Let's win it for all diehard New England sports team fans. And let's frink it, win it, Red Sox Nation. I'm so excited. I can't. Oh, my God. They just pitched the first pitch of the game. I can see it now. Crazy. All right. So that's what's going on with that. Um, my Incantatos, what has me spellbound? Uh, you know, fashion icon of the week. I have to give it to Duchess Kate. I mean, she just looks magnificent. This girl just had a baby, and she looks phenomenal. And uh, it's just unbelievable. And uh, Kate attended the 100 Women in Hedge Funds Gala dinner in aid of action on addiction last Thursday, and Kate chose a dramatic navy silk tulle gown with a black velvet belt by one of her go-to designers, Jenny Peckham. It had a sexy deep V neckline, and she, Catherine, looked as glam as ever. I just adore her. Sure fashion sense is impeccable. I mean, it helps when you have designers who are dying to wear your clothes, but she just has a great fashion sense because obviously she knows what looks good on her and she just she just always looks amazing. And interestingly enough, this was only her second appearance uh, after giving birth to that adorable little baby, which if you have seen some of the pictures of that baby, of the official christening, they show a picture of Kate with Will and the baby and I'm telling you that baby looks like the Gerber baby it's going to be a beautiful 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 child um so okay so my wine pick every week I give a wine pick um but in light of the upcoming wine shortage I say go out and buy any freaking bottle of wine you can get your hands on people I mean seriously this is perplexing I like am freaking out because even though I do have some wine stashed it's still that is crazy. And since that fact that, you know, wine prices are going going to go up, you want to make sure that you have some wine. Um, so, okay, you know, every week I have a buffoon of the week, and I swear to God, you know, somebody does something that drives me insane and makes my head want to explode, you know, and spin like, you know, the exorcist chick. Um, but for the third week in a row, because tonight is game six of the world series and in light of the fact that my boston red sox can win the world series this evening i'm going to give it once again for the third week in a row making an appearance of buffoon of the week still my local sports director who said that my red sox would lose against the tampa bay rays but are currently playing as we speak right now at fenway to a possible world series tonight just saying that your predictions are as credible as my six pound chihuahuas not credible at all just saying, you kind of suck at your job. But it is what it is. You get paid the big bucks, and, you know, you're going to be wrong. So when the Red Sox do win tonight, I think that you need to apologize to everybody in Red Sox Nation. So there you have it. So 
coming up in the next couple of segments, this is what's going to go on tonight. I'm going to be obsessing about the Red Sox. I'm sorry. It's just what it, it is, what it is. It, it's going to be that way. Um, but we are going to be talking about this global wine shortage. I'm going to read some parts from this report that I read about this global shortage. And uh, we're also going to be telling some uh, some historical things I found out about Italy that I think you'll find interesting because, you know, I love to learn about art and artifacts and things that are going on, uh, going, being displayed at museums. And uh, we're also going to follow up on some of our stuff for Halloween that we talked about last week. So all that coming up and more on the Villa Vida show. It's Don Catherine. I love the Red Sox. Go Sox. I'll see you on the other side of the break with a little bit more of Living La Bella Vida. Toginet coming up. Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on Toginet.com. It's time to devote time to yourself. And strap yourself in for a fun, down-to-earth, enthusiastic, compassionate, easy-to-understand discussion on the unlimited ways you can be all that you want to be. Join us for Bee Institute Radio with Christine McKee on Toginet Radio. Each week, Christine will have lively and open discussions and interviews, share stories and case studies, and hear from experts on the topic of the week. Christine, a registered psychologist from Australia and published author of Be By Design, How I Be Is Up To Me, hosts lively discussions and interviews every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Get ready to learn and play with Mrs. A, your host, Barbara Allison, Mondays at 11 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Did you know that kids are only 20% of the population, but they are 100% of the future? How are you preparing your child for that future? The years between the ages of 0 and 6 are crucial for learning and development. Barbara Allison is a teacher, parent, and author on supporting children's early learning. Learning starts even before a child is born, and parents are children's first teacher. Join Mrs. A for ideas, tips, and suggestions for fun learning and play activities as she helps you support your child. Starting early is starting smart. For more on Mrs. A, her books, the show, and her blog, check out her website, 123kindergarten.com. Then, come learn and play with Mrs. A with your host, Barbara Allison, Mondays at 11 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. And from thence... I had great desire to see Italy, and came to Venice, and from thence to Florence, where I played before the Duke, and got great favors. If it's good enough for Sting, it's good enough for us. This is Live La Bella Vita on Toginet. If you love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show. 
It's Live La Bella Vita. All with an Italian flair. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. It's Live La Bella Vita. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. And welcome back. This is Don Catherine. It's the La Bella Vita show. And we are talking right now about this, what I find to be a tragedy. Um, and that is a global wine shortage is kind of sad. Uh, a global wine shortage is in prospect as vineyards struggle to keep pace with steadily rising demand, economists warned yesterday. In 2012, the industry saw its deepest shortfall in more than 40 years as demand for wine, including for use in such blends as vermouth, outstripped supply by 300 million cases. Yeah, that's M as in million, um, around a tenth of the total wine consumption worldwide. This compares to a decade ago when the industry produced in excess of 600 million cases, according to research by Morgan Stanley. The looming global shortage will mark a turning point for the wine industry, which is emerging from a period of massive oversupply after a string of bumper crops between 2004 and 2006. The lasted until around 2010 with the impact on winemakers exasperated by a global economic turndown, which forced many growers to close down their vineyards. Net exporters such as Australia, Chile, Argentina, South Africa, and New Zealand stand to benefit the most from the approaching shortfall, which will see demand for their produce soar and push prices up. Data suggests there may be insufficient supply to meet demand in coming years as current vintages are released, the report said, and it added the impact of last year's shortfall will not be immediately felt since the current consumption will be met by earlier vintages, but as consumption turns to the 2012 vintage, we expect the current production shortfall to culminate in a significant increase in export demand and higher prices for exports globally. That is a problem, people. That is a bad problem. Further growth in consumption, meanwhile, may exasperate the shortage when it comes through. In all, there are more than 1 million winemakers in the world producing about 2.8 billion, that's 2.8 billion, cases of wine each year. Global demand has hit nearly 3 billion and is rising. Now, you want to know who is drinking a lot of wine these days, people? Um, The Chinese. Believe it or not... Uh, they have actually um, been drinking a huge amount of wine in the last couple of years. So I don't know what they're doing over there, but they are definitely drinking a lot. They have doubled the consumption since 2004. Uh, Global wine production is thought to have peaked in 2004 and has steadily declined since. Supply has uh, either met or been short of demand every year since 2006 as makers begin to erode their excess inventories. But, uh, yeah, so a fall in the global area under vine, the total area covered by vineyards, has driven the decline in poor production. Weather also hurt production across Europe, the world's biggest wine-producing region during 2012, and France, the world's biggest producer in wine. Output fell between 18 percentage points between 2011 and 2012 across 
overall regions, production slipped to nine slipped nine point five percent. Production from New World vineyards remained flat in 2012, as rises in production from South Africa, the U.S., and Chile were more than offset by a 24% fall in Argentina. Meanwhile, apart from the short dip between 2008 and 10, wine consumption has been on an upward march, with booming demand in the U.S. and China driving the rise. Again, talked about that a little bit earlier. Americans' consumption is fast catching up with that of France, the world's number one wine market. Again, China has, their their consumption has rise at an astronomic rate, doubling twice in the last five years. And the economists at Morgan Stanley predict that this trend will continue, putting China on course to become the world's largest consumer of wine by 2016. So isn't that crazy to think by 2016 that the Chinese will actually outdrink us all? So that should be interesting. And, I, I, you know, however you want to look at it, people, you know, it could be a good thing or a bad thing because, you know, they make everything. So I don't know. Is that a good thing when they're in their factories making stuff and they're kind of lick it up? I don't know. But, you know, it is what it is. So... This is kind of a cool thing. Uh, the 14th annual grape harvest is set to begin this Thursday, which is tomorrow, amidst the ancient ruins of Pompeii. And if you listened to this show before, I've talked extensively about Pompeii. The harvest is part of an ongoing experiment to reproduce the wine grown in the ancient affluent seaside town before it was buried by a volcan- volcanic eruption from nearby Mount Vesuvius in 79 A.D., Workers will begin picking bunches of grapes in an effort that has widened over the years from one hectare of land near Pompeii's Forum Baroium, an area used for the same purpose in antiquity, to an additional five other areas as well. The wine is made with local Piroso and Scassiano grapes using viniculture techniques from ancient Roman times and has been named after the Villa del Misteri, the Villa of Mysteries, a Pompeian landmark famed for its cycle of frescoes. To determine which plants most closely match the originals, experts leafed through numerous texts written in the first century AD by Pliny the Younger, a prominent politician and writer, and Columella, and Moderatus, a Roman soldier who preferred farming to military life. The experts also gleaned information from artistic depictions of grape harvests and bunches of the fruit, which appear in the most famous home of the city, as well as the reconstruction of an ancient wine press still visible today. The idea was the brainchild of Antonio Mastabriandino, owner of a relatively small winemaking company in the Avellino area near Naples that bears the family name and has been carried out through the Laboratorio de Requite, which is the Laboratory of Applied Research. Visitors can attend the harvest in the Boreum Forum, where the model of the ancient Roman wine press will be on display. And the cultivated lamb among the ancient ruins now have a production capacity of about 300 tech. Uh, 30,000 tons per hectare. Uh, so that's a, a decent amount of wine. So I think that's going to kind of be a cool thing. So if you happen to be listening to the show and happen to be in Naples and you're going to be going to Pompeii tomorrow, you might be able to see something really cool. So this is another thing. Uh, if you've ever been to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, 
you know that it's leaning. It has been since it's been constructed, um, and they've been trying to fix that. But at least one Italian official thinks that the leaning tower Pisa will one day straighten up thanks to modern engineering. Giuseppe Bonavoglio, technical director of the monument, said the 56-meter bell tower's lean toward the south is shrinking thanks to an 11-year restoration project completed in 2001 the tower is moving it is straightening towards the north between 2001 and 2013 it has recovered 2.5 centimeters of its incline that's not so much but it's a move in the right direction i guess in theory it would be possible to straighten it completely the freestanding cathedral tower began tilting during its construction in the 12th century because of an inadequate foundation on the ground that was too soft on one side so, who knows, maybe in our lifetime we might be able to see a straight leaning tower of Pisa, and then what is it going to be called then? The straight tower of Pisa? I don't know. Hmm. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's pretty cool, and I'm glad that it's going in the right direction, because there were some really, some really grave concerns about the stability of the tower and whether it was going to survive or not. So I'm glad that it's going in the right direction. So this, for me personally, as you know, I'm an art history, studied art history in college, love it, Leonardo da Vinci, one of my favorite artists. Uh, new sections of artwork by Leonardo have been found in a room in the Sorzesco Castle, where he was the court artist for the Duke of Milan, uh, Levitico Moro, in the late 1400s. Restoration work on the Sala de Asse, Room of Planks, which da Vinci decorated from April to September of 1498, with murals of trees soaring into a vaulted canopy, has revealed additional selections of the original work under several layers of whitewash, sometimes up to 17, according to the representatives of the Florentine Restoration Institute. Restoration workers say that they are uncovering a monochrome section of the mural depicting huge tree root stuck in a rock base at the base of the many trees that adorn the room, a giant surprising trompe l'oeil. Analysis done on the face of the mural to reconstruct the original composition give quite interesting and interesting results, they say, and give hope to uh, restoring larger parts of the original decoration. The famed, tr uh, so I think that's pretty cool because, as you know, obsessed with Da Vinci and. You know, it blows my mind every time when I hear all this stuff about them finding works from some of these artists, whether it's Da Vinci, uh, da Vinci or Botticelli or Michelangelo or Raphael. Uh, the fact that people actually cover their work just, like, kills me. It's, it, it just amazes me that they could actually do that. But they do. And uh, it's it's great that there are, there are organizations that uh, – really take pride in restoring these works and finding them, restoring them to their original state so that we can enjoy the full realm of some of these things that were being uh, painted back in the day by some of these just amazing, amazing artists. So when we come back, uh, we're about one minute from break time. We're going to talk just a little bit about uh, San Gennaro, which is in Naples. I, this is a really interesting story. Another thing about art, you know how I love my art. Um, we're going to be talking about that. And uh, then we're going to go on to uh, some other stuff. Uh, again, it's Halloween, people. So uh, I'm going to uh, give you some information about Halloween because uh, there was a question last week about where do pumpkins come from? Why do we have pumpkins? And is, 
is Halloween about Satanism and, you know, all that good stuff. So we're going to clear the air on that one. So when we come back, we're going to be talking about that. Oh, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Cleopatra, too. This is really cool stuff they found out. So all of that and so much more. The Red Sox are playing. It's uh, the second top of the second, uh, you know, and right now the Red Sox are pitching to St. Louis. So uh, nothing to report. As of right now, we'll see you on the other side of the break. Red Sox rock. Woo! See you on the other side of the break. The La Bella Vita Show. It's Don Catherine. is Live La Bella Vita. Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on toginet.com. What does success mean to you? Money? Power? Fame? Having everything money can buy? Does it mean having a job or career that you love, a great family life, or simply to be happy? If you're still searching for answers, then join us each Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Primetime Success Radio, where Alan Skidmore and his special guests will discuss health, finances, relationships, being in business, and how you can have a life that is not only successful, but a life of meaning. Alan has been studying success principles for over 25 years through reading, attending seminars, interviewing successful people, and a daily lesson from the School of Hard Knocks. And now he wants to share that information with you. So join Alan Skidmore on Primetime Success Radio every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Rockstar Radio Network, as he takes you on a journey of finding the heart of your success. Why is religion such a thorny issue in our society and the world? And why has religion often become a source to divide people rather than unite? Frank Talk with Dr. Ajaz is a forum for civil dialogue on religion and wellness on Toginet Radio. Dr. Ajaz Nakvi invites leaders and activists from all walks of life and faith to engage in a civil discussion on religion and current events. Join us for Frank Talk with Dr. Ajaz every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on the TogiNet Radio Network. Come bella della luna, brilla strette, strette come butto, belle faste già, sotto celle de Roma. If you love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show. All with an Italian flair. It's Live La Bella Vita. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. And, you know, the Red Sox are playing right now in the World Series Game 6. Yes, they are. And uh, the Cardinals just got a base hit. So now there's two people, on one on first and one on second. So I'm having a little bit of breakdown during the um, little break that we had. But 
I'm not going to obsess about that right now because I have stuff to tell you. And I think this is really cool because if you listen to the show, I know that you are a lover of many things. You love art, probably. You probably like wine like I do. You love Italy and all those good things. So this is a, a really cool thing. The famed treasure of San Gennaro is to be estimated to be more valuable than the British royal family crown jewels has left Naples for the first time and will be on show at Rome's Museo Fonzioni until February 16th. Collection made up of lavish gifts given by popes, kings, emperors, and ordinary people in gratitude for the alleged intervention of Naples' patron saint will be moved from the Duomo in Naples. Among the more interesting items are a mitre, which is the bishop's hat, in which diamond Diamonds, ruby, and emerald are embedded, and a collection of silver busts composed of about 70 pieces made between 1305 to the modern era. Once hidden away, the priceless hall found a new permanent home in 2003 in a 300-square-meter area underneath the restored chapel of the treasure of San Gennaro, which, by the way, I have actually seen, and it is amazing. It houses a sealed vial alleged to contain the saint's blood, which miraculously liquefies three times a year. The treasure includes jewel... uh, Three, t- three times a year. Um, the treasure includes jewels, busts, statues, paintings, tapestries, and other valuable gifts made by the devout over the past 700 years. Among these are silver objects made by Neapolitan craftsmen between the 14th and 19th centuries. The objects demonstrate their maker's incredible skill in sculpting and forging butts of the saint, candelabras, chalices, plates, crosses, and other altar ornaments. The Chapel of the Treasure is a popular Naples attraction with 1.7 million visitors a year. The treasure was also the subject of a successful 1967 Italian comedy film by Dino Risi, Operazione San Gennaro, known in English as the Treasure of San Gennaro. The Miracle of San Gennaro, St. Genarius, traditionally takes place three times a year, on the Sunday before the Sunday in May, on the St. Feast Day, which is September 19th, and on December 16th, the anniversary of the eruption of Vesuvius, believed to have been halted by saintly intervention in 1631. St. Genarius was a Christian martyr, martyr, the bishop of the Benvenutum, today's Benevento, to the southeast of Naples, believed to have been decapitated during the persecution ordered by Roman Emperor Diocletian around the year 305. The legend goes that after his arrest, Genarius was thrown into a furnace by, but the flames did not burn him. He was then sent to an area of where he was to face ferocious wild beasts, but the animals would not harm him. Finally, it was ordered that he be beheaded. And according to tradition, the man who was ordered the beheaded, beheading suddenly went blind, but Janarius cured him before going under the axe. On his feast days, a silver bust believed to contain the saint's head is placed on the altar in the Duomo, and a vial allegedly containing the relic of his blood is held up to view and sometimes inverted while the faithful fervently pray for the miracle of liquefaction, a sign of the martyr's blessing, which sometimes is withheld. The first historical reference of the liquefaction of the martyr's blood is dated in 1389. One group of Italian scientists have established the substance in the vial is blood, but have been unable to explain its liquefaction and the fact that its volume and weight can vary. So... That is very interesting. For those of you who are not Catholic, that seems very crazy, but 
reliquily is part of Catholicism for sure. But uh, yeah, it's very, it's a very uh, strange thing that uh, the liquid changes weight and volume. Very hard to explain how that happens. So our girl Cleopatra, who, you know, she was a diva back in her day. I mean, come on, look how fabulous she looked with her eyeliner. She was the one who makes... Uh, you know, she invented the eyeliner and she, you know, was the one who really started to uh, crush berries to make her lips ruby red. But she was the last pharaoh of ancient Egypt and she is the most famous queen and the most alluring. Even more than 2,000 years after her death, her persona continues to inspire books, plays, movies, and museum shows, including the new Cleopatra, Rome, and the Magic of Egypt. This expedition exhibition runs until February 2nd at Rome's Chiostro del Bramante. It brings 180 pieces from around the world to evoke Cleopatra's turbulent, turbulent, fascinating era. The works, which include sculptures and bracelets, frescoes, and funerary urns, hail from collections as esteemed as the Louvre in Paris, the Kunstjoys in Vienna, the British Museum in London. However, this is not an exhibit that delves into how Cleopatra had been imagined and romanticized and vilified in the modern period, the show seeks instead to contextualize her, her reign within her own ancient era. And that's what makes it unique. Viewers learn how Rome, Romans fantasized about Egypt's verdant land. A mosaic from the first century BC stretches almost the length of space, showing a Nile river scene of fish, ducks, crocodiles, and boats, all exquisitely elaborated in tiny glass tessari, while a marble sculpture from the same period depicts an acrobat doing a handstand on a crocodile's back. I mean, seriously? Another section explores how Cleopatra's stay in Rome from 46 to 44 BC sparked Egyptian mania in the capital, showing artifacts such as fresco and sphinx from a Pompeian villa and a gold bracelet in the shape of Cleopatra's icon, the serpent. Um, but this show seems to have curated on the assumption that people already know the broad outlines of her life, how she seduced Caesar convinced him to back her claim to the throne or how she later charmed Roman Mark Anthony and was defeated alongside him in the fateful battle of Actium in 331 BC. After all those details have been shared often enough, starting not with Elizabeth Taylor in 1963, Shakespeare in 1623, or even Plutarch in the first century AD. Instead, the exhibit shows viewers the kind of objects she herself would have seen and the art that she herself inspired. That might not be as dramatic as the image of Cleopatra clasping an ace to her breast, but for those curious about her life and times, it's a very bit fa fascinating. So, you know, I can tell you right now that uh, that uh, the St. Louis Cardinals just uh, struck out and the Red Sox are up. There you go. How's that for a segue into our Halloween um, part of our show? Uh, Americans love Halloween. We as a country spend over $5 billion a year celebrating. But, but where did the holiday come from? And how did traditions like asking strangers for food and dressing up as ghosts develop? Halloween has its roots in Soen, an ancient harvest festival held at the end of the Celtic year, or Celtic, however you want to say it. The festival marked the end of the summer in the beginning of the dark winter time. It was believed that the spirits of the dead returned on this eve to 
damage crops and play tricks on the living. It was also believed that the Celtic priests or Druids were able to make predictions about the future, which they did during large bonfire celebrations where they wore animal skins and sacrificed crops and animals to the spirits. In early AD, Romans came to the Celtic territories of modern-day England, Scotland, and northern France, and were the first people to influence the celebration of the Soan. They brought their own holidays, Feralia, the Roman day to honor the day in late October, as well as another holiday to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. It is possible that this Roman influence is the reason apples are given out and bobbed for on Halloween. By 800 AD, Christianity spread to the Celtic territories and brought with it another holiday, All Saint Day. Uh, All Saints Day, Pope Boniface, Boniface, the designator of All Saints Day, was likely trying to replace this Soan holiday with a similar but holier holiday meant to honor saints and martyrs. Later on, All Saints Day was renamed to All Hallows Day, and thus the day of the Soan began to be called All Hallows Eve and eventually shortened to Halloween. So if you ever wondered why Halloween became Halloween, that is the reason why. All of the holidays that were melded together to create our modern version of Halloween involved dressing up in one way or another. The celebration of the Soan were animal skins at their bonfire celebrations, and those that observed All Saint Days often dressed as saints or angels. Later on, men in Scotland would impersonating would impersonate the day dead on the day, explaining the ghoulish tradition that we observed. Now, during the 1800s, Irish and English immigrants flooded the U.S. and brought Halloween with them. From these immigrants, we received the Halloween traditions we recognize today, however screwed they are now. For instance. The first trick-or-treaters were far from today's smiling children with commercialized costumes. They lived in medieval England and practiced souling, in which poor people would beg for sweetbreads in return for praying for their families and their family souls. Later, the immigrants who brought Halloween to America would develop their own version of trick-or-treating, but it didn't come popular here until the 1930s. So there you have it. That is like the whole background of why we have Halloween and where it came from. Um, what's the reason behind carving pumpkins? That's a whole nother thing. The origin of this tradition stretches back into the myths of the time of the ancient Celtic religion, which is what we just talked about. Before it was Halloween, again, the Samhain, um, the pagan holiday, the official end of summer and the harvest season, the Celts believed that the Samhain, the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead, was extremely thin, allowing the dead to cross over into the world living. Sometimes they appeared as apparitions and sometimes in the form of animals, most particularly black cats. The living lit bonfires and dressed in costumes again to confuse the spirits in keeping them from re-entering the world. So, when Christianity came from Ireland to Scotland, it was simply co-opted to a three-day festival of Samhain and folded into All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Days, and All Souls' Day. So, when we come back, I'm going to tell you a little bit about why exactly we carve pumpkins. It's really quite interesting, and if you didn't really know and you just thought we did it for the hell of it, there's really a story behind there. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, and uh, we're going to talk, uh, you know, a little bit about some maybe some spooky places that you might want to go, and some great Halloween facts like Houdini. Did you know he died on Halloween? Crazy, right? So we'll see you on the other side of the break. It's Don Catherine. The Red Sox rock. They're up to bats. We'll see you on the other side. 
you know, he just might. This is Live La Bella Vita. Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on Toginet.com. Bésame, bésame mucho. Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. Each week is a dose of inspiration. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. Success Profiles Radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle, if I can do it, you can do it. So don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results. Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright, Mondays at 5 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose at all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on toginet.com. You love Italian food. You admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense. You love travel and luxury destinations and resorts. This is your show. All with an Italian flair. It's Live La Bella Vita. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. Hey, I'm back. Don Catherine's La Bella Vita show. And we are wrapping up this uh, Halloweenish show for the night and uh, this ode to the Red Sox because uh, as we were on break, uh, there's two outs, Boston is out, there's two outs and um, yeah, so, and we're at the bottom of the second, so we still got time. So this is great. So before we went to break, I was telling you about um, the Soen, uh the pagan holiday um, and uh, all that stuff about why we celebrate Halloween. So, um, but as I said, it is a combination of All Hallows' Eve, which is on October 31st, All Saints' Day, which is November 1st, and All Souls' Day, which is November 2nd. It's a perfect fit from the original pagan Soen blended seamlessly into the new Christian celebration. In most of Christian Europe, the emphasis was still and is still on All Saints Day, which is a holy day of obligation if you're Catholic like me. But in Ireland, in Scotland, because of the Celtic past and the legacy, 
legacy of the Sowin, All Hallows' Eve or Halloween became the big deal and various local traditions developed. In Ireland, children carved out potatoes or turnips as jack-o'-lanterns and lighted them from the inside with candles. The practice originated from an Irish myth about a man nicknamed Stingy Jack, who invited the devil to have a drink with him and then didn't want to pay for his drink. It's a long story, but the bottom line is that Jack tricked the devil into climbing up a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While the devil was up there in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that he could come, not come down until he promised not to bother Jack for ten more years. Soon after Jack died, and God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven... The devil, upset by the trick Jack played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. So Jack was condemned to wander the earth between heaven and hell with only a burning piece of coal and a carved-out turnip to light his way. So there you have it. But references to pumpkins date back many centuries. The name pumpkin originated from the Greek word for large melon, which is pepon. Pepon was changed by the French to pompon. The English changed pompon to pompion. Shakespeare referred to the pompion in his Merry Wise of Windsor. American colonists changed pompion into pumpkin. The pumpkin is referred to in the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Peter, Peter, Pumpkin Eater, and in the beloved classic, Cinderella. Native Americans dried strips of pumpkin and wove them into mats. They also roasted long strips of pumpkin on an open fire and ate them. The original, well, I, you know, as I say that, I wonder if they put any spices like cinnamon and kind of made it into a pseudo pumpkin pie who knows um the origin see here you go the origin of pumpkin pie occurred when the colonists sliced off the top of the pumpkin removed the seeds they filled the insides with milk spices and honey the pumpkin was then baked in hot ashes there you go it is the reason why we have pumpkin pie i think that we should all try to do that i think that's a really cool thing I, I, we, we're going to have to work on this. Um, it's the story that came to America with hundreds of thousands of Irish immigrants in the mid-19th century. In America, pumpkins were cheaper and more readily available than turnips, but carving them and making them into jack o lanterns lit by a candle inside by an American traditions as Halloween was enthusiastically adopted in the new world by people from every possible ethnic background. By the 1880s, it had really caught on and had become part of the tapestry of the American holiday traditions. Today, most think of Halloween as an American holiday and are unaware of ancient old world roots of the carved pumpkins that are a traditional part of the celebration. So now you know why we carve pumpkins at Halloween. It's all because of ancient Celt pagans and Irish descendants who came to America, Pagan, pagans who still celebrate the Sowin. So I think that's pretty cool. And this is just a funny story. So, you know, I have a house in the South, and um, when I first moved in to my house, I have neighbors that are all around me, and uh, most of them are Southern Baptist. So please, Southern Baptist, I don't want any emails saying I'm dissing you. But as you know, my parents are from Salem, Massachusetts, and Danvers, Massachusetts. And uh, so I had this sign out that I keep out all year long that says the witch is in. So funny enough, like my neighbor at the time, whose daughter, who is you know, way old now, but she was about five years old, and uh, she came sauntering over to my house one day while I was outside, and she asked me, are you a witch? <laughs> Which, 
cracked me up because I was like, no. <laughs> and uh, so I, I couldn't understand why she why she asked me that. But then I realized that I had the sign. And um, interestingly enough, she went, her parents went to the same church that one of my best friends get, went to. And um, the, I, she was asked about my sign, about the witch sign and why I had it up. And so I had to explain that it was because of my parents and they were from Sal, you know, from Salem. It was homage to them. It was homage to the fact that my grandfather worked at the Salem Evening News and their, you know, their logo is the little witch on a broom, which is what my sign was. So that was pretty interesting. Now, that was those neighbors to one side. Now, the neighbors across the street when I first moved here to my house besides having my witch's sign of course I went all out decorating like a wild person and to my surprise one day I came home I go around to you know turn into my street and my neighbors that are directly across from me who are big time evangelicals God love them um (laughs) apparently they thought I was a witch or that I needed my soul to be saved because and there you are. They had like these gravestones that <laughs> I, this is, I'm not, I, you could, I couldn't make this crap up. I, this is God's honest truth. They literally on these like made up gravestones put repent. Jesus will save your soul. Um, the devil is trying to take your soul. Um, Halloween is for Satanists. Um, it was crazy. So here I am on my side of the street all Halloween, like Halloween threw up on my front lawn and all over. And then on the other side of the street was repent, you're going to hell, which is kind of funny because if they would even bother to know or to even ask, like, you know, what's the deal with you and Halloween? I just like Halloween. uh, They would know that I was like a really good Catholic girl who was actually at that time teaching Sunday school, no less. So it's kind of hilarious. So don't judge people because you just never know. It is just some crazy crap. So I'm just going to give you a couple of cool, crazy facts about Halloween. I thought these were kind of pretty cool. Now, Halloween is the second highest grossing commercial holiday after Christmas. Uh, We consume, like, unbelievable amounts of candy. Um, And we actually shop just as much. I mean, about $66.5 billion is spent during Halloween. Isn't that crazy? $65 billion. It's a lot of money. Um, Harry Houdini died on October 31st, 1926. The famous magician, uh, magician was killed accidentally by a McGill University student named J. Gordon Whitehead, who was hitting him in the stomach repeatedly as part of a stunt. A week later, he died of periodontitis from a ruptured appendix. Despite acute appendicitis, Houdini refused to seek medical treatment, medical treatment, and he died on Halloween. I think it's kind of creepy because he was kind of a creepy character. You know how that goes. Um, there's a phobia for that. Uh, uh, phobia is the intense and persistent fear of Halloween that can cause panic attacks and sufferers. Other relevant phobias for this time of year is wiccophobia, which is the fear of witches, phasmophobia, which is the fear of ghosts, and semitrophobia, which is the fear of cemeteries. Um, I'm assuming that my neighbors across the street were probably, um, I think that maybe they had the phobia because... They feared my love of Halloween. Um, Who knows? Uh, Let's see. Uh, One quarter of all the candy sold annual 
annually is for Halloween night. Uh, no matter how much we eat during Christmas time and Thanksgiving, which I can't wait, uh, Halloween has co- uh, cornered the market on candy. Because you would think that even Valentine's Day, that there would be lots of candy consumed on Valentine's. No, 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 no. Um, as a country, we consume 20 million pounds of candy corn each year. I want to know who the hell these people are. Candy corn. Let me, let me say it again. 20 million pounds of candy corn a year are eaten. Who are you people? Do you not realize it's the worst candy? I mean, I'll eat it if it's there in front of me, but it's the worst candy. I mean, if you have a thing of chocolate and then you have a bowl of candy corn, what one are you going to eat? It, it boggles my mind. I, it, it just, I can't even think of it. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Um, but whatever. Uh, so handing out Halloween treats is a perfect excuse to eat some, too, as we all know. That's why I try to not buy what I like. But, you know, every year that I go, like tomorrow, because tomorrow's Halloween, I'll be going to the store and buying some Halloween candy. Because if I buy it ahead of time, I'm going to eat it. Um, but, I, you know, I do try to buy, like I said, things I don't like. But somehow, some way, there's this gravitational pull for me to go to the Almond Joy and to go to the Kit Kats. <laughs> And the Butterfingers. I try, but, uh, you know, and I try, I, I honestly try to, uh, to uh, really try to try to uh, make sure that I give out all my candy before the end of the night. So, you know, the later the night goes, the more candy they get. Um, but uh, 41%, believe it or not, of adults admit to stealing kids' candy. So if you're an adult, you're bringing out your kid trick-or-treating, you're stealing their their candy. It's crazy. Um, and uh, what else is going on? So, yeah, but the most number one candy that is given out at Halloween every single year and has for the last, I don't know how many years, Snickers. I love me some Snickers, but uh, I am more of an Almond Joy kind of girl. So if I have to go to houses, I'm going back to Almond Joy house for sure. Yeah. Um, so there you have it. That's what's going on. Those are some great little uh, tips uh, for, you know, some really cool things uh, about Halloween. So I really want to know what you're going out for Halloween. I, I hope everybody's giving out some good candy. Don't give out any um, don't give out any letters that say um, you're a little kid and you're a little bit overweight so I'm going to give you a letter instead of a piece of candy because I think that I know what's best for you bad idea that lady she should have been on my buffoon of the week too all right thank you for being a